Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ten years ago, I was a pastor in Denver just getting started. I was called to a, a congregation in an inner-city neighborhood that was struggling and had been in really steep decline for many years. And I was the young whippersnapper pastor fresh out of seminary that was going to turn it all around for them. So I hit the ground running, and we went out into the community, and I met a bunch of community leaders and neighbors and got to know the the neighborhood, and I I got a Spanish tutor to freshen up my language so that I could speak with my neighbors in that community, and we worked with all the folks in the congregation. We met around dinner tables and around uh, boardroom tables to dream and vision and imagine together and be creative about what could happen next, what we could do to try and breathe some new life, to be creative. We came up with tons of ideas, and they all needed money, so we wrote a bunch of grants, and we got the money, and we tried new things, and it was awesome. It was super fun. But about a year in, I was exhausted. And I had a huge list of dreams that still were yet fulfilled, lots of things left to do, things I wanted to do, things I didn't necessarily want to do but needed to be done. But more than that, I looked back over the year behind me and it felt like we hadn't gotten as much accomplished as we thought we would have. We weren't nearly as far along as we hoped that we would have been after all that work. And so I was sharing that with a colleague of mine, and and he suggested that maybe I should go to a spiritual director. So I added that to my to-do list and reluctantly carved out an hour of time to go see this tiny little fierce nun. And I told her what was going on. I told her all the work I was doing, what I was feeling about it, all the stuff that I had left to do, and how it kind of felt like we were doing and doing and doing and not getting as much done, and after about 15 minutes, she stopped me and she said, Jay, tell me, how do you keep the Sabbath? And I said, well, I mean, I'm in church on Sunday mornings. It's what I do, right? I mean, I'm not sure I understand the question. She said, no, 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 no. I mean, how do you rest? Notice she said, how do you rest? Not when, but how. And I said, why? I mean, I... I'm not one for napping. I never really have been. I mean, I I like to read some and uh, cook and I don't know. I I guess I've never really thought about it. And she said, maybe you might want to think about it. And I kind of chuckled and I said, sister, I just told you about how long my to-do list is. I've already added one hour to meet with you every couple of weeks. And now you're telling me I need to add sitting around thinking about how I might rest or keep the Sabbath, I don't have time for that. I kind of want my money back. It was a joke, sort of. She said, well, I just thought maybe you might want to think about how you rest. And she's right. I think us as a whole in this culture, many of us at least, maybe it would do some good for us to think about how we rest. Because we live in a culture that doesn't necessarily value rest. I mean, we love to have fun. We, we are desperate for entertainment. But, but rest is something different from that. And it's not something that we truly value because we live in a culture that so desperately values work and achievement and progress and productivity and 
earning. I mean, you can, we can have like a million different words for the stuff that we do. But we don't value rest because it feels like laziness. And especially in the church. Now, I know that there are some of you that have kind of mastered the art of rest. And I love that. And I I would love to learn from you what that looks like. That's the gift of the church is that we can teach each other how to do these things. But as a whole, I think it would do well for us to think about how we rest. For Sabbath, rest is built into the very fabric of creation. It's a commandment, to be sure. It's one of the top ten, and we'll talk about that next week. But long before it was a commandment, it was a gift. It was a gift from a loving God who built this rest into creation itself. That on six days, God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, God rested. And he made that day holy, set it aside, literally, is what that means, and said, this is a day to rest. In Exodus, when it recaps it, it says, in six days God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh, God rested and was refreshed. And the word refreshed in Hebrew literally means to exhale. God breathed out. (sighs) Doesn't that sound lovely? And when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, long before they received the law at Mount Sinai, wandering and complaining and hungry and their feet were sore, still God gave them rest. Every morning, six days a week, God showered them with bread from heaven that would not keep so that they would learn not to hoard, but to simply be satisfied with enough. But on the sixth day, a double portion fell so that on the Sabbath, the food was just there. All ready for them, no work required, enough for the day. And by the way, what that means, of course, is that no more bread was falling from heaven, which means God got a day off too. See, that's the gift of Sabbath. It's a little bit of a challenge, but it's a gift to be reminded that indeed the world will continue to turn without your work. Can you believe it? You're not God. No matter how much you do or don't do, the world will continue to turn. And God will also take a nap. And so can you. This might sting a little bit. For those of you who are constantly doing, I invite you this week to maybe take a look at your to-do list or your calendar or whatever it is that sort of tells you what you are supposed to be doing and ponder for a moment if there's anything on that list that is more important than the work that God has to do. Seriously, is there anything on your to-do list that is more crucial for the turning of the planet and the moving forward of creation itself than the work that God, the Lord of heaven and earth, has to do? Because if God can rest, so can you. But it's so hard at times to do that. Because there's always more to be done. We never finish what we set out to do. It's very, very hard. There's always something more to do. You sweep the floor, it just invites more sweeping. Right? 
In the book Sabbath by Wayne Mueller, it's the book that we're going to be uh, reading in in book club uh, over the next couple of months, and you're invited to join one of those groups. Mueller makes this point. He says, Sabbath frees us from the illusion. It dissolves the illusion of urgency in our lives because it frees us, liberates us from the need to be finished. Because we'll never be finished. Your to-do list will never be empty until the day you're done and you can't take it with you. We'll never be finished. God will finish us for us. But what Sabbath does is it, it gives us the freedom to rest unfinished, trusting that God will continue to make the world spin with or without our work. Now, I know that most of us probably were raised to think of Sabbath and the commandment to keep the Sabbath as going to church, right? If you went to catechism as a kid, you probably learned that, you know, the shorthand of remember the Sabbath to keep it holy is make sure you go to church, because that's what confirmation is all about. It's making sure you go to church. Now, don't get me wrong. I love it when you go to church. Thank you for being here this morning. I'll give you extra points for being here on a holiday weekend. But let's be clear. We don't all go to church to rest, right? Worship is a part of this thing we call Sabbath, but church is actually hard work, right? Many of us come to church to read or to play piano or to sing or to usher or to to pass plates or to, to sit through a long, boring sermon. That's hard work, to stand up and sit down and sing, right? To set the table, to clean the table, to all, to all of this stuff, it takes work. Going to church is not necessarily rest. Perhaps what worship is more importantly understood as is a kind of training ground, an opportunity to to train our eyes, to train our ears, to train our vision, to train our perspectives, to be able to see the gift of Sabbath in the rest of the day or the rest of the week, to be able to see what this gift really is and to be able to practice it in our lives. Because the gift of Sabbath is nothing more and nothing less than knowing deep in your bones that who you are, your worth, your value, your belovedness is absolutely not dependent on what you do or don't do the rest of your week. You see, that's what we value in our culture. If you doubt that, go to a dinner party with people you don't know. And after they ask your name and maybe where you're from, invariably the next question is what? What do you do? What do you do? And the answer to that question comes with all kinds of guilt or pride, depending on what you do. But Sabbath, Sabbath tells us that who we are who we really are is a gift from a gracious God. And so what worship does is it trains our eyes on a table where the bread of heaven is given, bread for which you did not labor and you could not earn, but is simply given to restore, refresh, and fill your life. We train our eyes on the waters in which we were washed into a family of belovedness, forgiven and set free and made whole and holy, not because of what we do or leave undone, but because of what God 
has done for us. And we pray and we lay our burdens on the shoulders of the one who can truly carry them. And we glimpse that rest that Christ has won for us. In the book Sabbath, Mueller talks about a beautiful psalm. It's a psalm that perhaps you've heard of. It it talks about being uh, led by still waters and laying down in green pastures. Have any of you heard this psalm before? What is it? Psalm 23. When do you usually hear Psalm 23? At a funeral, right? It's like the funeral psalm. Not in Judaism, by the way. But in Christianity, it has become the sort of go-to psalm for funerals. And it's a lovely psalm for a funeral, don't get me wrong, it's beautiful. But he talks about how that just sort of reinforces this notion that we're just doing and doing and doing and doing and doing until finally, in the end, we can rest. That rest is something for after we're done doing what we need to do, what makes us who we are. Or as the cultural aphorism goes, you can sleep when you're dead. But not in, not in its original form. That psalm was always meant as a living psalm. As a reminder that in the, the rhythm of rest and work, in the rhythm of life, we are constantly glimpsing the rest that God has given. That God has taken God's own self. That God has built into the fabric of life. That we are each and every week called to pause, to shut it all down, and to simply rest and revel and rejoice in the fact that we are beloved, that we are alive, that we are holy, set aside holy, not because of what we do but because of what God has done for us. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.